My good people, are you ready to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game? Are you ready to print up your tickets, drive to the ballpark, go through the turnstile, up the escalator, onto the concourse as you go through the tunnel? Watching and looking at all the players warm up on the field, the smell of green grass, popcorn, and beer is in the air. And not only that, but more importantly, as you wait for first pitch and the umpire behind home plate to say, play ball. That's right. We finally made it. Here, March 28th in the year of our Lord 2019, as I deliver to you this year's Major League Baseball preview as you're listening to the J Reels podcast. And I am your host, J Reels, bringing you everything that's happening not only with the locals, the Yankees and Mets. I'll go through all the divisions, give you my surprise and disappointments of the upcoming season, as well as who's going to make it all the way to October and hold that trophy high over their heads as we close out the decade of the teens. Can you believe it? Well, here we are. For those listening, for the very first time, I really appreciate you taking the time to download and listen to my podcast, and I hope you come on back. And for those who've been banging with me since day one, I welcome you guys back. We're going to kick it off with the Yankees. That's right. I'll get to the Mets in a little bit. Yankees, there's a lot to discuss, but at the same time, you pretty much know what the Yankees are. You have an idea of what type of season they're going to have. Now, of course, we can never predict exactly how everything's going to shake down. But when you look at this Yankee team, as loaded as they are on offense, and even that much more loaded in the bullpen, the question marks are abound when you look at the starting pitching, which is easy to target because with Luis Severino, who's going to be on the shelf to at least May, who knows if it's going to be May 1st or 31st, CeCe Zabathia will be on the DL, and you have pretty much a... I'll say a mix of pitchers that are going to give it their best at the bottom of that rotation, whether it's going to be Jonathan Loisaga, whether it's going to be Luis Sessa, Domingo Herman, guys of that ilk, to carry the load until the Severinos and the Sabathias return to the starting rotation. But more importantly for me with this Yankee team this year, and I'll give you three points. The first one has to be Gary Sanchez. I think... In order for this Yankee lineup to be as and as potent as they already are. But all you need from Gary Sanchez is not the 2015 version who hit 20 home runs in 40 games. You need the 2016 guy that came in and hit 33 home runs, drove in 89, and I believe bat, batted somewhere around 290. And of course, you need to have some respectable defense behind the backstop, whether it's trying to just block the ball, catch the ball, and of course, make some plays at the plate where... He doesn't feel like he's five miles away from tagging out the runner, which he's been prone to have problems in the past when it comes to that. So when I look at this lineup and I look at him in particular, he's a guy that doesn't need to carry the mail. We all know who the linchpin of this team, let alone the offense, is in a one Aaron Judge. Of course, you have Giancarlo. We know pretty much from start to finish what's going to happen here with this lineup, whether it's Gleyber Torres, the Young Guns, and Miguel Andujar, we know they have right-handed power. Luke Voigt, obviously, if he's going to be in the starting lineup, which Greg Bird, for all intents and purposes, may be the guy that's going to start only because he has that left-handed bat in an offense that doesn't have many left-handed sticks. But you get the point. And if you just have Sanchez of 2016 come back to anything close to that form, I think that's going to be a boon for this Yankee team, and I think it's just going to be that much more of a murderer's row when you have not only just his bat and glove, but also his head right. Because I'm sure it was affecting his play to no end, whether it was just him not running out balls to first, or him lollygagging to the backstop as runners are rounding second going to third, or scoring in from third base just on a measly pass ball. Those are the things that has to stop when it comes to the Yankee's success, and I think for him and his future. Because we know what type of talent he is. We've seen it time and time again. And I think he is a big key for the season. Now, are the Yankees going to go from 100 wins to 90 wins because he's going to play poorly? No. But I'm sure you've seen the Jekyll and Hyde, the good and the bad, and even the ugly to a certain extent, of Gary Sanchez. So if you get anything close to the good, could you imagine how lethal and how much scarier this lineup can be? So to me, when I think of this Yankee team, I think of him first and foremost coming into this year. Of course, you're going to look at health, but you could say that for all 30 teams. You're going to look at the starting pitching, absolutely. But to me, it's just focusing on certain players of this team and how they're going to perform, knowing what we've seen from them in the past. And I think with Sanchez, if somehow, some way, he gets his head on straight and he's able to hit anywhere between 260 to 280, does damage with the bat, 
as well as play a very good defense. And we know he has a cannon for an arm. So that's not a problem. But it's him being able to block balls or even catch the ball half the time because he's just a disaster back there. If he's anything close to what he can be, then that is going to be a bona fide plus, not only for the Yankees, but more importantly for one, Gary Sanchez. To me, the second thing I look at, and I just mentioned these two guys, is year two of the Gleyber Torres, Miguel Andujar, I don't want to say experiment, but it's going to be a little bit of an experiment this year because with Didi out and Torres playing shortstop, you wonder how that's going to affect him being a second baseman. And we all understand that he's a shortstop by trade. But now that he's going to be back at short for more, or, you know, for most likely the first half of the year before Didi comes back from his uh, MCL or UCL Tommy John injury, it's going to be interesting to see how well he's going to perform. As great as he was last year, he did tail and fall off a little bit down the stretch. Andujar certainly had a great year with the stick. He should have been the rookie of the year. He got robbed. Uh, I know Sho, you know Sho, Shohei Otani. I couldn't even say his name right. From the Angels, he won the rookie of the year. And not to say he wasn't deserving, but let's face it, Andujar, to me, stat-wise, was just head and shoulders above Otani as far as the rookie of the year is concerned. But when you have these two guys who are expected to do pretty much a duplicate, if not more, from what they did last year. And you know Andujar's defense, it remains to be seen how he's going to perform here at third. And a lot of people have said that he's worked hard. Excuse me, he's made a lot of progress. But now that the game's going to start to count, you got to wonder and see how far he's come from last year to be just a competent third baseman and not be a better version of Eduardo Nunez. So those are, to me, those are the two things you're going to look at. And then, of course, once Didi comes back, and Torres, you would think, is going to go back to second base because with DJ, DJ LeMahieu, the former Colorado Rocky, going to fill in here for this first half of the season. It's really going to be interesting to see how he performs because he's been an all-star in the past. And could you imagine him hitting at a 310, 320 clip, being very productive in a lineup that certainly a lot of people aren't expecting to do well. But here's the thing. You plug me in that Yankee lineup, and I'm probably going to hit 290. I may not hit 20, 30 home runs, but you get the point. They're going to rather pitch to me than pitch to Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, Bird, Torres, go down the line. So how I look at it is that it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds because if LeMayu is having a great year and when Didi comes back, you're going to have to move Torres back to second, even if Torres is having a, let's just say a good year, as opposed to LeMayu's overwhelmingly better year. Now, again, that's a problem that you don't have to worry about. You wait and see how the season shakes out. Of course, over time, when you look at how LeMahieu has performed on the back of his baseball card, especially in the last couple of years, he's has been a very productive offensive player. If you're going to look at what he's done in Colorado, I understand that's a little bit of an asterisk. But So let's see him do it not only on a new team, but in a new league, different pitchers, etc. And... When you look at it again, Torres and Andujar are going to be key here if there's going to be any sophomore slump with both of those guys. And can they take their games to the next level here in this 2019 season? And then the third thing for me with this Yankee team, we could say the bullpen and arguably their 1A to the Yankee offense being number one as far as the strengths of this team. But the bullpen, as you saw last year, they kind of faltered down the stretch. They weren't that juggernaut that a lot of people thought they were going to be. And I'll think they actually added another piece in Adovino from Colorado, who was excellent during the spring. So now when you have that particular factor or that strength where you add in, but pretty much you could have starting pitchers go four and two thirds and you could have your bullpen carry the rest of the way. My thing is, is that with the dearth of starting pitching that the Yankees have at the current moment, and you don't expect this to happen all year long. But with the way the bullpen is made up and the way it's constructed, do you think that Aaron Boone, especially early in the season, and maybe with rainouts and cold weather and things of that nature, could his bullpen be burnt out much sooner than later, which could actually lead back to last year as to why they weren't as effective July, August, September, eh, and even October. We're not going to take the wild card game against the A's because they built up a big lead before pulling away. And then the Red Sox series, listen, you look at those games, they were pretty much out of it. 
in the first game after the J.D. Martinez homer. I understand they had their chances and they you know, only lost by a run, but still the Red Sox were pretty much in control of that game one. Game two, the Yankees took over. Game three, they got blown out of their own building. And then game four, what could you say? You know, obviously Severino didn't start. We know what happened there. The bullpen had to take over. And they did pretty well, but they gave up a couple of big two-out hits and they weren't able to bounce back against the Red Sox pitching. So the bullpen, to me, is going to be the third factor of how they're going to be deployed this year, how often they're going to pitch this year. And yes, you could go in and say, hey, we got Chad Green, we got Adam Adovino, we got Zach Britton, we got Dylan Batances, we have Tommy Canely, we have, obviously, Aroldis Chapman. I mean, please, that bullpen is three bullpens in one, when you think about it. When you have six guys that could just come out at any time, third inning, fourth inning, fifth inning, and pretty much bridge the game to the ninth, nobody in baseball has that type of uh, staff, or I should say has that type of bullpen where it's just going to bowl you over day in and day out. But you do have to wonder throughout the course of a long season how they're going to be deployed. And I think it's going to be key. Guys get dead arm. Guys get tired. You know, Chapman, he's going to be on a deal at some point with a knee. And mind you, Chapman's in an opt-out year, which you probably think he's not going to opt out after this year, but something to keep in the back of your head. And then also... When you look at this team on a whole, I'm not worried about the starting pitching. And I hate to say it in 2019, to have the starting pitching of, let's say, the Mets, it's it's a luxury. Because how many teams have three bona fide four great starters or very good plus starters on your starting staff? It's pretty tough. I mean, I understand Washington is probably close with Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin. But to have those three or four studs at the top of rotation is very rare to have. So even if you have the one guy or two, to me, three through five is an afterthought, especially when you have a bullpen like the Yankees. But it certainly needs to be monitored, and you have to see how this is going to, if it's going to wear them down, if it's going to be a factor, especially as you get late in the year, as you saw last year with the Yankees, and especially into October, where, as we've seen with Yankee teams in the past, how the killer dominant bullpen could lead you to a World Series title. And that's it. I mean, you could talk about hell. You could talk about the Aaron Boone's moves, his managing, whatever. We know Hicks is on the shelf for the first uh, couple of weeks of the season. Well, probably the first series. They say he could come back in the second series. We'll see against the Tigers. But the thing is, is that with the Yankees, they're going to rake. When you look at the home run prowess that they had last year as they led the major leagues and led all the baseball and broke a record when it comes to home runs. When you look at Judge... Sanchez and Stanton, they were actually combined 61 home runs down from the year before. I get it that Judge hit 52 and Stanton hit 59. That's pretty tough to duplicate. But Judge missed six weeks last year, so there was a lot of home runs that were certainly left on the shelf somewhere, as well as Sanchez and all of his druthers when it came to him, whether not staying healthy or just not being able to perform on the field. So who knows what that record's going to be like this year. And of course, they've already proclaimed that they're going to go out and probably push that or surpass it here in this upcoming season. So let's put this all in a nutshell. I think the Yankees are going to have a big year. I think the Red Sox, with everything that transpired last year, 108 wins, only three losses in the postseason, the magic of Alex Cora, to do that two years in a row, and still with no closer, I guess the kid Brazier is going to be the closer on this team. We Remember, Joe Kelly now is in L.A. with the Dodgers. I think the Yankees will be able to take that next step, win a division, I know they're over on the number. I think it's 94. I don't think they're going to win 100, but they're going to be very close. I think they can win 99. I'm going to go with that. Can they win 100? Absolutely. They can win over 100. But you would think that this team, with the mix of youth and veterans, they're going to try to give some blows down the stretch. You would think to some guys, maybe the guy like Stanton, who knows how much they're going to ease Didi back into the mix come around the All-Star break or soon thereafter. You know, a lot of those questions that are certainly going to be answered as the season certainly gets deeper and deeper. But I think the Yankees are going to have another one of those seasons where once they get to October, they're going to be dangerous. They're going to be a tough out. But it's just a matter of how far they're going to get, considering the AL itself is very top-heavy with them, the Red Sox, and you can't forget the Houston Astros. So more on the American League in a little bit. Now, of course, I saved the Mets here. Because the Mets, as we all know, year in and year out, we just don't know what to expect. You know, their number is 83. 
They could either be 93 or 73, depending on how the year unfolds. And how you look at this team, and I'm not going to go position by position, player by player. I'll give you a few bullet points to really sink your teeth into, and then, of course, you could take it from there. But as far as the Mets are concerned, to me, what it boils down to, and again, you can talk about health and a bunch of what-ifs, and that's the thing with the Mets. It's all what-ifs. You know, what if McNeil returns to what he did last year, those two months of the season? What if Jeff Lowry could be healthy and he could be that utility guy that could certainly bring a boost and bring his veteran presence to a lineup that's left-handed dominant and he's a switch hitter? I mean, there's a ton of what-ifs, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but you get the gist. But to me, with the Mets here, the first thing when you look at this team is what are you going to get from this young core of homegrown players? Whether it's going to be Michael Conforto, who a lot of people think he's all the way back from that shoulder injury that he suffered two years ago. Remember, he had a hot September where he hit 10 home runs, 30 RBIs, and had a respectable end of his season considering that the first three and a half to four months were just awful. And remember, he came off of an all-star the year before. Rosario, a lot of people have raved, especially Robinson Cano, have raved how great of shape that he's come into and just that much more focused. I think he could have a breakout year. He certainly performed well in the last couple of months of the season as well. I probably would think that because a lot of the pressure was on him when he first came up here, despite the fact that the Mets weren't in a postseason, uh, postseason mode or certainly making a run on a wild card in 2017, kind of carried that into 2018 and did not, didn't seem to be one of the top prospects in baseball when he first came up and especially when he first started uh, in his first full season last year. But now, you would think with a year and a change under his belt, knowing that he has to play not necessarily a leadership role, but knowing that he's one of the faces of this franchise. He's not the face, but he's a guy that's going to be here, hopefully, you would think, for at least another decade. You know, what is he going to do in year two? Brandon Nimmo, we understand, plays the game right, is always effervescent, always smiling, does whatever it takes to get on base. Can he hit lefties? Is it going to be the thing where Nimmo is going to be that guy where you're going to rally around and hopefully, you know, he could also lead the attack to a team where he could score a ton of runs. Not only that, but also be part of that core that's going to take this team to the next level. You know, also guys like Dom Smith and Peter Alonzo both made the team. Dom Smith was a first-round pick, had a very good spring, came into camp, trim, ready to go. What, you know, what can he do as far as contribute to this Met team? So you ha- that's the one thing about this team. You know, you do have your veterans, the guys that are on the shelf, the Frazier's, the, the Todd Frazier's at that, the Jed Lowry's, Robinson Cano. Cespedes, who's also on the the shelf, but they do have a lot of young players and a lot of young core players, which you like, because these are the guys that you hope were going to be here for many years to come, and they could start to build to get to that upper echelon, not only just in the National League, but of course throughout Major League Baseball. So to me, that's one. The contributions from those players are critical. Lagares, I understand he's a homegrown guy, but what are you going to get from him? Who knows? We understand he's made out of glass, He'll be on the DL at some point, but he's going to start at center field. Flanked by Nemo and Conforto. Who knows if you're going to see Cespedes. I'm not even going to mention him as far as, I mean, if he does come back, that's almost like getting a deadline trade for, you know, July 31st. So that's number one. Number two, and this is a big one. How does Edwin Diaz perform in the bright lights in big city in New York? I don't care what the back of his baseball card says. Yes, it does mean something, and it does account for a lot. And he's 24 years old. He's young. He's starting to come into his own, but now the games are that much more magnified. So let's just say, for instance, opening day, DeGrom versus Scherzer. It's a 2-1 lead in the ninth inning, and you're facing 3-4-5. and five. We know Harper's not there anymore, but let's say it's a Rendon, Zimmerman, and Trey Turner. Now, I know Turner's usually a leadoff hitter, but you get what I'm saying. How is he going to pull his team out of the fire to get that save? And that's going to be crucial. Remember what happened in 2005 in Pedro's first start as a New York Met, and Braden Looper came in, and he spit the bit in the ninth inning. I believe he gave up a three-run home. I forgot it was to who off the top of my head. But remember that game, Met fans? You don't want a guy, and I'm not trying to compare Braden Looper to Edwin Diaz, but my point is, is that you don't want to have Diaz thrust front and center 
obviously against a division rival, to blow that first game, whether it be opening day, game two, game three, whatever it may be. You don't want to see that. Now, we understand he's human. He's going to blow games. We get that. Okay, he's not going to go 50 for 50 with save opportunities. But at the same time, there's a lot of pressure on him. Pressure that I'm sure he's not experienced in a major league level considering he played out in Seattle. And now that he's come here, and as we all know, the Mets have been looking for that lockdown closer for quite some time. And even though Familia had been good in that role, who's back in the mix here as the setup guy, but we know Familia, for whatever the reason, after the NLCS against the Cubs, and especially what he did in the DS against the Dodgers in 2015, the back of his postseason baseball card has not been good since then. So Diaz, to me, it is crucial because all those games that the Mets weren't able to save for DeGrom last year and now with Syndergaard and Zach Wheeler, etc., it's going to be critical to see how well he performs here in this first year, especially in the Met uniform. And then the other thing is, now last year, I remember when I did the preview with Scott and Jerome, big Met fans in their own right, I said that the Mets have to get off to a fast start. Well, they certainly did do that, but they fizzled in May and certainly in June. And then it was City of the Walking Dead after that, as I like to call it, as my former partner JD used to say. So now, the Mets just need to get off to a good start. And the schedule isn't easy, unlike last year. Well, you know, I had the Marlins a bunch of times. Now, I understand they go see the Marlins right away here after the weekend against the Nationals. But they come home to play the Nationals. You know, they have the Brewers on the schedule. They have the Cardinals here in this first month. You know, they're going to have some tough games. They play the Phillies which those aren't going to be easy games. So Mets need to beware here that this month could certainly get out of hand rather quickly, unlike last year when they got up to that 11-1 start. And even if they started to hit the skids, it was okay because they got 10 over in the first 14 games of the season because they were 11-1 and then ended up being 12-2. Which also leads to a, a last final point is Mickey Calloway. How much has he learned from year one? To year two, he has a bench coach in Jim Riggleman who's certainly going to help him. Unlike Gary, uh, Gary DeSarcina, no offense, but Riggleman, is, he knows the game very well and obviously the National League. I'm sure he's going to be a, just a severe upgrade to what they had last year. And hopefully he'll be able to guide and be able to be that bench coach that now a second-year manager is going to desperately need going through the rigors of not only the National League East but just through the National League period. And Callaway, his team needs to get off to a good start. I'm not trying to say they got to go up to anything last year. I don't want fast starts. We, we've seen the fast start and we've seen what happened. I want to get off to a good start. So if you're going to combine March and April, hey, if you go 18 and 11 or 19 and 12, whatever it may be, because they have the three games here in March and then whatever, how many games in April, fine. You want that and you want them to be able to sustain that because I think anything short of that, and remember, Brody Van Wagenen did not hire this manager. And now with Riggleman in the mix, you already know who the interim is going to be or could actually be promoted as the manager of this team if Callaway fails, certainly the first couple of months right out the gate. So those are things you have to certainly concern yourself here if you're a Met fan and wonder if Mickey's going to start bumbling, fumbling, and just screwing up here left and right with decisions and taking out pitchers and whatever it may be, and God forbid screwing up lineup changes and having the man who's supposed to bat fourth is batting third like he did in Cincinnati last year, then you can forget it. His tenure as Met manager is going to be very short-lived. I know the Yankees, I didn't get to their prediction just yet. I said 99 games. I didn't get to as far as what they're going to do, which I'll get to in a little bit. As far as the Mets are concerned, I think that they're going to have a good year. I really do. I, I feel that This team with Cano, who's back in New York, and he's just relishing the fact of being back here, which was home. I understand home was the Bronx, but now he's in Flushing. DeGrom finally has his contract. I know on Monday on the podcast here I was talking about how they need to sign this man before then, just for not just for Jake, but just for the fans' sake and for the players in that locker room to have some sort of security knowing that, hey, they took care of their best player right now, and they're actually second longest tenured player because Lagares is the guy who's now the longest tenured uh, player here on the Mets since David Wright has now uh, exited stage right. No pun intended. So when you look at this team, the way it's constructed right now, 
And again, we know health is a big concern, especially with that starting pitching. But I think the Mets are going to have a good season. I think they could win 86 games, and they're going to be fighting for a wild card. I don't think they're going to fight for division. Division is, is the best in baseball, hands down. I understand the Yankees and the Red Sox, they're going to say, well, hey, we may have the two best teams in baseball, but those four teams, Atlanta, Washington, Philly, the Mets, they're going to be slugging it out all summer long. And you just hope to see a race between the four teams. I think it's going to be fascinating. And the funny thing is that everybody's talking about the National League East and they're just looking at more so Washington and Philadelphia. But the team that's forgotten is the Braves. The Braves won 90 games last year, won a division. We know about their young talent. They have young pitching coming up the pike. They added Josh Donaldson as you know for more veteran presence for one year. They're going to be a tough out. But that National League East, and you know what? Let's just, let's just cut right to it. Let's go through these divisions. And to start off with the National League East, we know how topsy-turvy it's going to be. I hope, and again, this isn't the 80s with the Mets Cardinals and the Mets Cubs and even with the Pirates later on. And remember, the divisions were much different back then. But the one thing I will say is I hope somehow, some way, that rivalries come out of this. And you have... New York and Philly, like you did back in 07. New York and Washington, as you did in 2015, very fleeting. Because after that, when Murphy went to our old buddy, Daniel Murphy went to D.C. and destroyed us. There has not been a rivalry ever, pretty much ever since that 2015 season. So you have that, and then you have the Philly-Washington dynamic with Harper going up I-95 from the nation's capital to the city of brotherly love. How I look at this division, it is as much as it could be a toss-up, but I know the Mets fans aren't going to like me when I say this. Something tells me this is the year the Nationals, without Harper, and wanting, I'm sure, deep down inside, them wanting to prove that they could win without him. They have those young players and Victor Robles and Juan Soto, who are the heir apparents to the departed Bryce Harper. Yeah, they bring in Patrick Corbin, to solidify that rotation, Scherzer, you know, is a beast. Strasburg, when he's healthy, obviously he could be one of the top pitchers in the game. And I think just that combination of the young players, you have Anthony Rendon, who's in a walk year on his contract, was a big year, and he's a very good player, very underrated. Because when you look, think about that national team, you know, you think Harper, you, th- you even thought Murphy when he was there, but Rendon is a guy that he's just a pain in the neck. Plays excellent third, he's a good offensive hitter. I think the Nationals could have a big year here. As far as the Phillies are concerned, I know the Bryce train came through pretty much midway through the month. And when you look at the Phillies and what they've done, bringing in Segura, bringing in McCutcheon, and they locked up Aaron Nola, they still need a little bit more pitching. And the back of their bullpen is certainly from hunger. So I can see them being competitive. Remember, they fell off at the end of the year. I believe they were in 10 and 20 the final 30 games of the year or something like that. So you, you think they're going to have a better year and they're going to learn from last year. And then with Harper there, obviously he's going to fill up the ballpark night in and night out throughout the summer. And then the Braves are the Braves. And what I mean by that, they have a guy who's a veteran leader in Freddie Freeman. And they also have probably the best young player in the game. I'm not saying he's the best player in the game, but the best young player in the game in Ronald Acuna Jr. To go with Ozzy Albies. A lot of those other guys, Johan Camargo's and uh, you know, obviously the starting staff, they're a team that's going to be well-equipped to compete for many years to come. And then you have the Marlins. So you have a National League that's, that's loaded. Talent, good teams, solid teams. And then the rest of the National League, it's pretty much, I'm not going to say it's a toss-up, but you look at the Central, you figure the Cubs will bounce back. Cubs, the one thing I was concerned about the Cubs is that I wonder if they're on the decline a little bit. Remember, then 2015, they made it to the NLCS. We know what happened when they played against the Mets. The following year, they won a World Series. 2017, they lost the NLCS to the Dodgers. And then last year, now they lose to the Brewers in Game 163, but then they lose to Colorado in the wildcard game. So it kind of makes you think, okay, are they going to get back to the mountaintop or are they going to kind of stay there, compete, play well, but not enough to get over the hump again. To me, that remains to be seen because they still have a lot of good young players. And to me, the big one is Chris Bryant coming back, who's going to be 100% healthy and he's ready to go and he wants to prove everybody wrong. 
So that's going to be a big help in that lineup. As far as St. Louis is concerned, they haven't made the playoffs in three years, which is the longest drought in quite some time for them because usually they're always in the playoffs. But bringing in Goldschmidt was huge. They have a very good bullpen themselves. We know about the starting pitcher with Waka, who's a guy that should have been one of the best pitchers in the game, but he haven't, hasn't seen to put it all together. But you kind of wonder you know, what he's, he's going to have coming into the season. And then you can pretty much round out the division even with the Brewers. Now the Brewers, they've been hurting as well as far as their bullpen is concerned with uh, Jeffress and also uh, Kniebel. Those are guys, Kniebel's out indefinitely with an elbow, partial tear of his uh, UCL, which could mean Tommy John surgery. It's similar to what Masahiro Tanaka would, you know, very uh, few years ago. And you wonder if they're going to have that same type of magical season like they did last year, where Yelich was the MVP and they were one game away from World Series. Then you have the Pirates, and then you round that off with the Reds, with Puig and everything he's done in this offseason to kind of endear himself to the fans in Cincinnati, which I'm sure will be fun for the first couple months, but then once they start losing, they probably won't be heard from again. And then out west, you have the Dodgers again, who have won six straight divisions. The Padres bringing in Manny Machado and all their young talent, Fernando Tassis Jr., who made the team and is going to start the year with the ball club. You have Arizona, San Francisco, and also the Colorado Rockies, who have uh, made the postseason in the last couple of years. You would think out west, the dregs are going to be San Francisco and Arizona. In fact, probably the worst-kept secret is going to be the team that's going to bid for one Madison Bumgarner come July, especially around the All-Star break, is going to be key. Because the Giants, they need to blow it up and start over. Their run is gone. I understand Bumgarner is a god in the Bay Area for everything that he's done. And we know darn well what he did in the postseason, especially in the World Series in 2010, 12, and 14. But those days are long gone. That's not the same team. It's an older team. And if they were smart, they would trade him for a boatload. And to me, that's your National League. How I look at how it's, how it's going to break down and shake down, I think you're going to see the Cubs. I, I, I'm sick of the Dodgers. Kershaw is not starting off the year on a good note, and you kind of wonder what his health's going to be like throughout the year. I could see it being in and out and up and down. But the Dodgers have a lot of resources. You would think they're going to have a, a very good year. They're going to have a bounce back year. Bounce back in a sense where they got up to that slow start last year. It was 16-26, and 26 and they came all the way back and obviously made it to the World Series before losing in five to the Red Sox. But you would think that they're probably going to have a much more steadier year. I understand they may have Colorado breathing down their necks, maybe even San Diego to a certain extent. But even with Kershaw's injury, you would think the Dodgers will do just enough to get back to another postseason, which would be seven years in a row. And then when you look at the Central, I think it's going to be more so between Cubs, Cardinals, maybe the Brewers, to me, I understand the Brewers two years ago won 86 games, and last year they won 96. Uh, I need to see it again. You know, the starting pitching isn't great. Their bullpen was probably second best in baseball behind the Yankees. And to get years again from Yelich, which is going to be big, Ryan Braun, who is kind of a forgotten man there, Lorenzo Cain, who's a very good glue player. Now, it remains to be seen how they're going to try to and I think they'll have a good year, but it's something tells me that the Brewers, I can almost get a sense that this is going to be a little bit of a hangover year. And you rarely get that from a team that's made it to a game seven of a NLCS. But, you know, Brewers, you don't think of the Brewers of a team year in and year out that are just going to be a perennial team, right? whether it's the Cubs, whether it's the Dodgers, you know, teams like that. So when I look at the postseason, I can see it being... The Nationals finally winning a playoff series, if you can believe it. Playing the Cubs in a NLCS. And then I've had the Cubs going to World Series. I know I picked the Cubs last year. But to me, the Cubs, because they have the good young players. That's what it boils down to. Nationals, they do have that too. Especially with, we'll see what Robles is going to do this year. Soto had that, he would have been rookie of the year if it wasn't for Acuna. I think the Braves... Who, I mean, I, I think they're going to be close to how I look at it, too, how I look at just the National League on a whole. I think it's just there's so many teams that could be there, unlike the American League. You know, if you told me at the end of the day, 
the Nationals are going to win a division and the Braves could get that second wild card from that division or you have two teams coming out of the AL or excuse me, the NL East to win a wild card. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised where you just get one in the Central, the division winner and obviously the division winner out West. So we'll see. Well, I, listen, I, I like the Mets, as I said to you before, 86 games. I could actually see them making a wild card even at 86, but I don't think they're going to go pa- past that. Even if you put Jake DeGrom on the mound for that one game, whether it's in St. Louis or maybe even Colorado. Because the Met team, and they're good in those wild card games in the past, whether it was the game in game 163 in Cincinnati with light of the two-hit shutout. Uh, obviously, it didn't bode well for them in 2016 when they lost to San Francisco. But of course, that was Bumgarner. We all know we, we've talked about his heroics just a little while ago. So that's on the National League. And like I said with the American League, it's very top-heavy. As I said earlier, you know, I think the Twins, uh, let's go with the Indians first. The Indians are pretty much going to be the proverbial favorites to come out of the AL Central as far as the vision is concerned. And you would think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Yankees, Red Sox. And then you have Cleveland, Houston. It's who's going to be the fifth team. I have a feeling it's going to be the Twins. I think the Twins will be that team. The Twins obviously have made a lot of changes this offseason. They bring in Nelson Cruz on a one-year deal to be the DH. You know, they have guys that they've signed long-term on that team. Jorge Polanco. We know about Byron Buxton who had an off year, but obviously he's a very good player. He's got a lot of talent, a lot of ability. They have some good young pitching too, led by Jose Barrios, the right-hander. And after that, I mean, it's just a severe fall-off. I mean, you can't look at the White Sox. You can't look at the Royals. You can't look at the Tigers. Could Tampa be that team to make some hay considering they won 90 games last year? I mean, you can't pick three guys out of their starting lineup, but, you know, you just look at Blake Snell. He's pretty much the face of your franchise right now. And then out West, even with Mike Trout locked in for the next 12 years at $435 million or whatever it is, you know, can you see them coming... Anywhere close to a wild card. Same for Seattle. Same for Oakland. Can they relive their magic from last year? I don't think so. And Texas, they're one year away from a new ballpark and they're going to have a long season. And coming out of the American League, I could see a rematch of the 2017 LCS, Yankees, Astros. And I have... The Astros winning in seven because I think they're going to have the best record in the American League, probably in baseball. And I can see it going again to the wire, to the end, just like it did two years ago. And I'm picking Houston over the Cubs in the World Series. As far as my surprise teams are concerned, and then I'll get to the over-unders before I say goodbye. As far as the surprises, I like... now. I'm picking this only from a standpoint of young position players and young studs that are finally, you would think, will come into their own. A guy who made the team, who got an extension before he even played a game. And Eloy Jimenez. But Yoan Moncada, of course, we've heard his name bandied about so long, going back to his days when he was a Red Sox prospect. And you look at Abreu, who's going into last year, his deal. Now, they're going to have a long season, don't get me wrong. But I could see them playing with nothing, you know, no pressure playing free and almost like dumb, like, hey, we're not even supposed to be here. I could see the White Sox being one of those teams. Now, again, they're not going to make a push for the postseason. I mean, they have no pitching. They're not going to wreak havoc in the Central. But if you want to just see young talent, burgeoning talent, maybe future the game type talent, I could see Chicago, the White Sox, being a team where when you're watching baseball tonight, you're going to look and say, hey, wait a minute. These guys are just raking just killing the ball so when you look at it from that perspective I really truly believe and think that the White Sox they're going to be a team to just to look out for I'm not saying they're going to be a surprise as far as doing anything making any type of playoff push but just from a standpoint of their young talent from the Chris Sale deal to the Jose Quintana deal when they brought in Jimenez and their farm system the way it's stacked and how they're going to be able to perform here on this major league level this year one. Now, I'm sure they're going to have their struggles. I'm not going to say they're going to come in and they're going to hit 350. But 
I think they're going to be eye-opening to the point where people are going to look at this team probably 2020, 2021 as a team that, uh, they could make some hay in the American League. As far as the National League's concerned, I'm going to stick with what I said with the White Sox. I don't know how big of a year they're going to have, but I think the division's going to be down a little bit. And I think with the presence of Manny Machado, I think the Padres could do something. Now, the Padres, again, they don't have much starting pitching, and Machado's going to be the guy. He's coming in to be the leader, the focal point of this team, even at 26 years old, to guide the Fernando Tatis Juniors of the world and some of those young players that are on that team. Uh, I could see them I could see them being in the mix. Now, will they be there in September? I would say no, but I could see them hovering around, playing well enough. They'll have enough juice. I know with Tatis in there, I could see he's going to be good protection for, or with Machado having good protection there for Tatis. So I can see the Padres having a, a good year. And who knows? Maybe they'll be there in September. You know, that team hasn't been in the pennant race since 2010. And they're certain to look, you know, to turn things around, especially after the signing of Eric Cosmo last year. And now with Machado in the mix, I can see the Padres just having one of those years where they're going to be relevant. As far as the American League is concerned. Oh, no, let, let me stick with. No, I'll stick with the surprise. Then I'll go to disappointments. The American League, as I told you with the. White Sox, now I can go to my disappointment. See, I'm all over the map right now. You know why? Because it's late. It's time to go to bed. I'm recording this the eve of the opening day. So here we go. As far as the disappointments, I don't know how Oakland could do this two years in a row. Now, Oakland the year before, I believe, won 72 games. And then last year came out of nowhere to win 96. Can they do it again? I understand they have a guy, Matt Chapman, who's probably the most underrated player in baseball. And a lot of people even compare him to Nolan Arenado, which is saying a lot as far as their baseman is concerned. We know that they had a very special year last year, which flamed out in the Bronx. Can they do this again? I need to see it to believe it. And I'm not trying to say they're going to go back to 72 wins, but if anybody's thinking that as solid and they do all the things right and they play the game the right way, you know, they lose a guy like Jed Lowry who was... I'm not going to say was the man on their team, but those are the type of players that the A's are looking for. And they lost a big one in that because he's the veteran player. I'm sure a lot of guys in the locker room respected him. So who's going to be that guy to fill in that void with him being here in New York? And right, they don't really have starting pitching. I understand they're going to use the openers and go bullpen by committee to piece these games you know, throughout the course of the season. But yeah, can it last? That remains to be seen. And as far as the National League is concerned, I want to say Milwaukee, just based on a few things I said earlier, as far as how they have been good the last two years, but can they get to a World Series? And are they going to take a step back considering they got that close last year and it was a special year all the way around? Can they make it to the mountaintop? I want to say them. I also want to say Colorado too, because Colorado actually had a very good year. They fizzled. Down the stretch, but then they came back again to not only get a chance to win a division, which they didn't do against the Dodgers on that game 163. Then they went to Wrigley and won a big game there before losing to the Brewers. But it's funny. Both of those teams, to me, it's flip a coin. Colorado, their starting pitching has been excellent. Last year, obviously, they made a great run. Can they do it again, especially in that ballpark? You know, I'm not going to sneak up on anybody. I understand they made the postseason the year before and they lost the wildcard game to Arizona, but still. But I think more so Milwaukee because, to me, one of the strengths of that team is their bullpen. And they have two guys that are on the shelf. One is indefinitely in Knievel, and I mentioned about Jeffers, who has his shoulder issue. And shoulder issues aren't going to go away anytime soon unless it's the end of the season and he has all winter to heal up. So I can see Milwaukee taking a little bit of a step back here as a disappointment. Yeah, are they going to lose you know, 95 games? Of course not. I mean, I'm not going to go that bad in the tank, but if people think that they're going to win a division or, yeah, they're going to take that next step and go to a World Series, uh, I don't think so. And then to wrap this up, and this is the one segment I dread because my NBA over-unders have been terrible and my NFL uh, over-unders were... Actually, they were better, so the NBA was worse. But here we go. I'm going to let it rip, but I gave this a lot of thought over the last couple of days, and here we go. 
So I picked three overs, three unders. I was going to go four and two, but I figured, no, let me just keep it even. And uh, let's see how this all shakes down. I'm going to start off with the Cubs. Cubs are at 89. And if you listen to the podcast on Monday, when I looked at that number, I said 89? So the Cubs won 95 last year. And obviously, they've been a team in the 90s over the years, going back to 2015. Excuse me. I can't see why that would change. Like I said, Chris Bryant is renewed. He's ready to go. They have enough starting pitching, hopefully, to get something out of you, Darvish this year. They have the young position players still intact, the Biases, the Rizzos. We know about Schwarber. Of course, I just mentioned Bryant. You would think they're going to bounce back, have a big year. And that's why I'm picking the Cubs. 89 is an over. Obviously, I got them going to World Series. But it doesn't necessarily mean that to go to World Series, you got to win over 90 games, which you get my point. I'm picking the Nationals. I know Mets fans are going to hate that. And I kind of tipped my hand earlier with everything that I said. But to quickly recap, Rendon in the walk year. Harper's gone. Not to say that they're going to not miss him. But who knows? I'm sure there's a lot of people in that dugout. They probably think that, oh, they think the Nationals are going to be left for dead considering that Big Bad Bryce has left town and is now up just 100 miles away in in Philadelphia. Uh-uh. That's not going to be the case. They figured that they're going to plug in the outfielders, as I mentioned before. They have one of the best pitchers in the game in Scherzer, followed by Strasburg, and now Corbin in the mix. Corbin's not going to have any pressure. I understand he's got to perform with that contract, six years for 140. But again, it's not like he's got to carry the mail every five days, a la Scherzer or Strasburg. Now, the bullpen has been better, and they have Sean Doolittle, who's very good. But we know the Nationals and their doldrums as far as the postseason is concerned. But the regular season, after a down year last year, I think they're going to bounce back. I think they're going to win a division. So 88 and a half, I'm picking them as an over. And even with Trout in the mix and Otani, who's going to be DH most of the time, 83 and a half, as much as I want to see the Angels succeed, I'm picking them as an under. Angels, hey, you want to talk Matt Harvey having a resurgence of some sort? He did not have a good spring. I think he pitched eight and two-thirds innings and gave up seven runs. His last start was a little bit better. But the Angels... And, you know, they have a decent lineup. You know, Justin Upton. Otani, of course, as we know, he could hit. Pujols, who's on his last legs. But still, you know, they have some star names as far as their one through nine is concerned. But at the same time, it's not going to be enough. I think they're going to be just an under. Trout's probably going to have another MVP-type season because he's Mike Trout. But I think they're going to be under 83 and a half. And that's what I'm going there. Pick number three. The Twinkies of Minnesota with everything I mentioned before I'm picking them as an over 84 the division isn't strong all they have to do is deal with the Cleveland Indians as far as the division is concerned remember two years ago they made the postseason as a wild card and losing to the Yankees so I could certainly see them bouncing back they have a new manager now in the mix in Rocco Baldelli and you would only think and hope that they would get back to their wild card ways hey why can't they push for a division considering Cleveland with them losing Michael Brantley. And Lindor is going to be on the shelf to start off the year too. Remember that. He's going to be out with an ankle indefinitely. So that's a big blow for the Indians. He is a probably the face of that franchise. Even though Jose Ramirez has been more of an MVP candidate over the last couple of years. But when Lindor out, why can't the Twins make a push for the division? So I'm going to pick them as an over 84. And the last two I think are really easy. And I say that real easy, and it's going to come back to bite me watching my big years or at least cover the number. I'm picking these two as unders. I'm picking Arizona, under 77, Goldschmidt gone. I looked at their roster, and there is nobody in that lineup that shakes, you know, scares you. Nobody. They have decent pitching. We know Zach Greinke's there. You know, Archie Bradley, of course, is a good guy that comes out of the bullpen. Robbie Ray's a good left-hander. Zach Godley. They do have some pitching, but then they're, where are they going to get their offense? We know Goldschmidt's gone. He was the guy that was Mr. Arizona, diamond back there for many years. I don't know how they're going to get their offense. They actually slumped the start of the year, then they got hot, and then they cooled off severely. So I can't see Arizona to 77. I figure, hey, even if they go 76-86, there's your victory there. So I'm picking Arizona as an under. And then let the Madison Bumgarner sweepstakes begin. Talk about a team not knowing. They're, the only outfielder name that I recognized on that roster was Mac Williamson. And then people are going to say, Mac Williamson? Who's that? That's all you need to know about the Giants. They're kind of long in the tooth. I understand they're still going to go based on their infield with Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford, as well as Joe Panic. 
We know Buster Posey has been the guy there. He's Mr. San Francisco Giant right now. But again, other than Bumgarner, this team is starting to really separate themselves from the early teens and the World Series championships that they had at the beginning of this decade. And of course, we can't forget the other person, that uh, the other player that uh, is coming to mind. As a matter of fact, I just can't think of it right now off the top of my head. Another guy that I left off the uh, going panic or going, uh, oh, Pablo Sandoval. Yeah, he's back in the mix and Evan, uh, Evan Longoria. Yeah, so a lot of people think, oh, yeah, that's right. He's also on the team. But again, as we all know, Longoria is kind of long in the tooth. And they're number 73. Uh, once Bumgarner goes, they better get a boatload for him. But I could see this team. That's going to be a tough number because I believe they won 73 games last year. So they could match it. But again, not a lot of offense on this team. Pitching isn't great. And the Giants right now, like I said, they're on the tail end of this window. And I understand they can't move Buster Posey. I believe he's making big money as well as Brandon Belt and even Brandon Crawford if they want to try to bring any type of prospects back. So they have Bungarner, who obviously is in the last year of his deal. And uh, unless they're going to extend him, as we've seen a lot of extensions here in this offseason, unless something happens in the next 40, 24 hours or beyond, uh, remains to be seen. But I would think if the Giant Brass is smart enough, they will go ahead and ship him to a uh, winning ball club. And the CEO, as we talked about, who got involved in that cell phone incident with his uh, wife a few weeks ago, suspended until July 1st. So they have that little distraction to start off the year. So I'm picking them as an under. So again, Cubs 89 is an over. Washington 88 and a half over. The Angels of Anaheim uh, 83 and a half under. Minnesota 84 over. Arizona 77 under. And San Francisco 73 under. My over-unders for the year. You know about my World Series pick. Mets, Yankees, all that. Let's play ball, everybody. I hope you enjoyed listening to the 2019 Major League Baseball preview. Please feel free to subscribe. Also, leave a rating, post a review. I'd greatly appreciate it for wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify. Please, it would, uh, I'd be forever indebted to you for those listening out there to uh, please do that. It just takes a matter of minutes. For as long as you're on your phone, whether you're going through email or on Instagram, whatever it may be, it could take a couple minutes just to go ahead and do that. I would greatly appreciate it. And speaking of Instagram, you can find me on Instagram at jreels, as well as uh, jreels1, just a number on Twitter, a Facebook page, the jreels podcast. You can also send me an email at the jreels podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on any of my social media accounts. Just hit me a DM, any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, as I deliver everything that's going on in the sports world. Each and every week, usually every Monday, I try to squeeze in a couple of days in between if I can get some guests on because that's the whole point of me trying to get more guests to get more visibility in this landscape of vast sports podcasts in this universe. So with that being said, people, uh, I hope you enjoy opening day, enjoy opening weekend, enjoy your teams, wherever, whomever you may be following. As you know, I'll be following my beloved New York Mets here, not only on the J-Rails podcast, but here in New York as we play ball for 2019. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy opening day. Enjoy the baseball. And until next time on the J-Wheels Podcast, I'm the Flip Baby. <laughs>